Well, welcome to The Crossing and Happy New Year. Good to see you today. And if you came for the first time at Christmas and you've come back today, we're especially glad to have you. And I also want to welcome our Southeast Campus, our microsites, those who are watching online. Can we give them a big welcome and just let them know we're glad they're part of The Crossing family with us? I thought I'd start off by celebrating some highlights from Christmas, that on our Christmas services, we broke 10,000 people for the first time in the history of the church. We had 10,232 people who were here for our eight services over our two campuses. We also had 55 baptisms, which is pretty amazing, <laughs> celebrating that. And we had the highest month of giving in the history of the crossing in December. And so let me just stop here and just to tell you thank you. Thank you for inviting your friends. Thank you for uh, entrusting us with the gospel to, to be able to share with them. Thank you for your generosity. But because of your generosity, we're able to fund those three church plants that we are trying to get off the ground, as well as to provide the runway for ministry this year coming up. And to the hundreds of volunteers, some who volunteered every single service, thank you just so grateful for your partnership in making all of this happen. Well, today we start this series called More Than Happy. And all of us here, we all want to be happy. We even have something we say at the beginning of a new year. We say Happy New Year. And some people don't know when to stop saying Happy New Year. It's like February and they're still saying it. It just feels weird when they do that. But we don't want a sadder 2018. We want a happier year. So here's the question. What makes you happy? Some of you don't even know what it is. Some of you do not know what makes you happy. And here's how you know that. It's because you keep trying to find something that will make you happy, and you're still not happy. And it may mean because you just don't know how to be happy. Now, that may seem kind of offensive for somebody up on stage to say that to you. But just remember, every time you turn on the TV... Every time you listen to the radio, every time you get on your computer, there's people that you've never met who've created commercials and ads of all kinds of things that promise to make you happy. And let's be honest, all of us have fallen for that one or two or a hundred times. If only I had, if only I drove, if only I wore, if only, if only, if only, then maybe I would feel better about me. And for most of us, we have forgotten what makes us happy. And as we're going to discover, it is very difficult to market actual happiness. See, you can market quick fix happiness, but it's, it's impossible to market and sell actual happiness because happiness is always elusive. When we think that we, we have it, it kind of moves a little bit further. So let me answer the question what makes you happy? It's this right here. No thing. There is no thing that will make you happy. So what makes you happy? Okay, I thought this was going to go different. When I, was, when I was thinking about it this week, I thought I was going to ask that question and you were going to say no thing. And, and it didn't work out quite the way that I thought it was going to. So we're going to do this all over again. Okay, so let me just... So what makes you happy? Perfect. Glad you got it. There is no thing that makes us happy. 
So over the next eight weeks, we're going to go on this journey together. Because I believe that God wants something deeper in your life. And it's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. He does. But God wants something more for you. And it's joy. Joy is more than happy. And this series is based on the book of Philippians. That this book talks more about joy than any other book of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, just go ahead and get it out. And let me give you a little bit of background to kind of set us up for this talk. It was 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul became a Christian a few years after the resurrection. And he was friends with all the disciples. He was friends with Peter and James and John and Matthew. And he began planting churches all around the Mediterranean Rim. And one of the churches that he started, in fact, the very first church started in Europe, was in the city of Philippi. And let me just show you this on the map so you can kind of get an idea that this is Philippi here, and it's in, it's in current-day Greece. This is where the Apostle Paul started his first church. You can see Italy's over here, and so Greece. And then the Apostle Paul began to travel all throughout this region in Asia Minor, um, planting different churches. And this church that he originally started in Philippi, he writes them this letter 10 years later. Now, many scholars think that there were other letters that he wrote to this church in Philippi, but this is the only one that we have left, and we call it the book of Philippians, but it's really not a book. It's just a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians who lived in this Greek city in the first century. And Paul was in prison in Rome. Nero was the emperor, and Nero was famous for killing Christians, and eventually Paul would be beheaded by Nero. And so this is where Paul writes his book, and he writes to these Christians, and here is how he starts this letter. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus in Philippi. Now, this word holy people right here, this is literally saints. What he's actually writing to all of God's saints in Christ Jesus. Now, when we think about saints, maybe you come from a Catholic background, and a saint is someone who has had two miracles accredited to their name, and then they're voted into sainthood. Well, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the city. He says, to God's holy people, to God's saints in Philippi. Now, if he were writing this today, he would say, to God's saints in Las Vegas, or to God's saints here in, at the crossing. And so here's what you need to know. As a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. You probably didn't know that. You can go home and tell people that later today, that I am a saint. I just want you to know. He says, to all God's saints, holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. So this is how he begins this letter to these Christians. And in verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So it has been 10 years since he has visited them. But he says, every time I think about you, every time I remember you, I thank God for you. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. See, this is interesting because this is our first introduction into what the Apostle Paul will talk about joy dozens of times throughout this book. Remember where he's writing this from. 
He's writing this from prison. He's writing this from inside a cell. And he says, I always pray with joy, which gives us an idea of something about joy. Because happiness is based on the circumstances. Joy is something deeper than that. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And this is just a setup for how he's going to launch into his letter. But as I was studying this week and as I was preparing for this message, I did what I always do. Is I take the scripture that I'm going to teach on and I will read it over and over. I'll just keep reading it over and over because I not only want to get it into me, I just think in that process God begins to speak to me. Begins to help me see things in here that I hadn't seen before. And as I was preparing this week, I started thinking about you. Because like the Apostle Paul, I am extraordinarily grateful for so many of you who have partnered together to do what we're doing at this church and in this community and around the world. It's the partnership that we have. That there are people at this church who have been here since the day we opened our doors. There are people here who serve and give and invite. And not because you're trying to make up for the bad things you did on New Year's Eve. That's not why you do it. It's because you're so committed to the cause of Christ. You're so committed to what God is doing here. And every time I come here on a Sunday morning and it's cold outside, or during the summer when it's 115 degrees outside, and we have men and women who are in the parking lot making sure that you have a parking spot, or when you drop off your kids at Kids Crossing to these teachers who love kids and love your kids and love working with them. And when you pick up that cup of coffee before you come in here, it is because of the partnership in the gospel that we share. It's because of this partnership that we have together. And one of these days when you pick up your kids, you ought to give their teacher, their small group leader, a big hug. And just thank them for what they do. Sometime when you come here in a couple weeks and it's going to be really cold outside or when it's 115 degrees, you ought to give the parking lot crew, you ought to give them a tip or tell them something nice. And here's the reason that we do this. It's because the cause of Christ is so compelling. We partner together because God uses each of us to do something beyond what we could do ourselves. Well, Paul goes on and he says, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you have any unfinished projects around your house? Any rooms that are kind of half decorated that you always thought you would get around to decorating? Any books that are half read? Any diets that you've already given up on on January 7th? Maybe a degree that you had always intended to finish? See, if you're anything like me, when you pass those projects that are undone, you just have this sense of guilt. It's like, I know I need to get back to that. I know I need to do that. Or maybe it just becomes part of the fabric of your life. You go by it and you don't even notice anymore because that unfinished project is just something you're so used to. See, this is why this verse is so significant to us. Because the Apostle Paul says this. He says, being confident of this, that he who what? began, he who began a good work in you. 
Here's what Paul is saying. Is that when you became a Christian, when you gave your life to Jesus, God began doing something in you. See, we are an instant gratification people. We say, God, fix this. But Jesus says, follow me. Fix this is now. Follow me is a process. And God's ultimate goal for you is spiritual maturity, that you would become like Jesus. And this takes time. You cannot rush spiritual maturity. You can cram for an exam, but you cannot cram for maturity. And what the Apostle Paul said, he says, I'm absolutely confident that God is doing something in you. That he's growing something in you. And it's going to take time. But I want you to look at this phrase right here. He says, that he who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you, because Christianity is an inside-out faith. Christianity is an inside-out faith. That God wants to do something inside of you to bring out a result that comes out of you. God wants to do something in you that transforms what's coming out of you. See, Christianity is not behavior modification. And Christianity is not be good. And Christianity is not stay out of trouble. The essence of the Christian life is God renewing our hearts and renewing our minds. So that ultimately there is a different kind of behavior. But it's not behavior modification. It's not stop this so you can start that. It's allowing God to work through us to complete what he's begun in us. And over time, we begin to bear fruit from that transformation that God does. And Paul says this. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. See, we have a lot of unfinished product projects in our life, but God always finishes what he starts. That this work that God began in you, he promises that he will finish it. He will bring it to completion, which means this is a lifelong process. As long as you're following Jesus, as long as you're a Christian, God is going to continue to work inside of you. It is God's job to complete what he started in your life. And it's your job to participate with what your heavenly father has started. Now, I want you to get this. It is God's job to complete the good work that he started, but it is your job to participate with him in this work. Well, then it goes on and it says, and this is my prayer, that you would find happiness and prosperity in the new year. That's not really what it says. That's our prayer. I just made that up because this is what we pray all the time. This is what we pray. God, I just want you to make me happy and bring me lots of money because this is our prayer. So when you pray for you, what do you pray for? When you begin praying for yourself, what are the things that you pray for? See, I think if we put together a list of all the things that we pray for, it's mostly just shallow things. God, help me to get to work on time. Help me to pass that test. 
Help me to get through the day without seeing so-and-so. God, when I look at her, would you help her to look back at me? God, would you help me find that parking space? And perhaps that is the reason that our Christian experience is so flat. Because we pray little prayers and we get little results. We pray prayers out of insecurity and fear. And we experience insecurity and fear. See, we pray for the things that we think will make us happy. Here's what the Apostle Paul actually says. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. And he gives us an insight to joy right here. He gives us this sneak peek of what joy really is. He says, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. See, he's beginning to tell us, this is what joy looks like in your life. This is how you find joy. It's when your love begins to abound more and more. When you're growing deeper in your relationship with God, Paul says, the center of what God wants to do in your life is for you to learn to love. He says, I'm praying that your love for people will grow bigger and bigger. I'm praying that you will become a better lover of people, not a better rule keeper. When was the last time that you prayed about loving better? About loving better. If you're going to love better, then you have to put yourself in environments to do this. This is why we see it so critical for us to serve our community, to serve other people. This is why we're doing Night to Shine, is we, we believe that this is where joy begins to come out, is when our love abounds for other people. And so we're going to do Night to Shine. We're partnering with the Tim Tebow Foundation so that we can provide a night for special needs people who are going to be coming on our campus. This is why we do small groups, that we believe that life change happens best in relationships. This is why we want you in a group. We just believe that when you are known and you can know someone else, when you are loved and you learn to love, God grows us more. And here's the fear. The fear is for a small group, you're like, oh, I I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know what they're going to say. What are they going to make me do? Are they going to make me share my deepest, darkest sin? Let me tell you the essence of most of our small groups. Most of our small groups, you show up, there's a little bit of food, you hang out for a little bit. Most of our small groups go through the passage that we go through in the weekend and just take it to the next level. It's beginning to talk about these scriptures at the next level and applying it at the next level and then pray together and then you're out. That's what it is. See, we put ourselves in environments where we can begin to love more, to abound in our love. And then he says this. He says, so that you may be able to discern. This idea of discern is to test. This is to recognize. So you'll be able to recognize what is best and here's God's goal for you. And when you begin living this life that God has for you, it says that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So that you can be able to test and discern, to recognize what is best for your life. So that what comes out of your life will be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
Righteousness just means to live right. That's all it means. Don't let this word intimidate you. That there is a payoff to living right. There is a payoff in our life when we begin to live right. It is the fruit of righteousness. So here's what I want to do. Let me give you the bottom line, and then we're going to apply it. Let me give you the bottom line of today, and then we're going to learn how to apply it. Here's the bottom line right here, is that God always completes the work he has begun. That God always completes the work that he's begun in your life. You may be a brand new Christian, or you may be like me, that you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. The moment that you surrendered your life to Jesus, he began this work in you. And God's promise to you is he will complete that work. Your job, your job is to participate with your heavenly father as he completes this work. The sign of spiritual maturity is not how often you pray. It's not how much you read your Bible, how often you come to church. The sign of spiritual maturity is the way that you love people. And the reason that happiness seems so elusive to us is because happiness is about you and your circumstances. When your circumstances are good, then you're happy. And it's all about you. Joy happens when it's not about you. Joy is the outcome of partnering with God in his work. Joy is the outcome that happens when our love abounds more and more. And here's God's promise is that God always completes the work that he has begun. And so I want to invite you on this journey this year of discovering joy. And I just want to be just authentic with you here for a minute because this is been one of the pursuits of my life. One of the pursuits of the last couple years is trying to find joy. A couple years ago, I just had a difficult year. It was just, it was just a tough year in my life. And I had a friend of mine who came and he said, Shane, he says, whose responsibility is it for how you feel? And so I begin to talk about all of these other people. Well, I mean, the reason I feel this is because of this and, and them. And then he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, let me ask the question again. Whose responsibility is it for how you feel? And I, I begin to say, he goes, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. That it's my responsibility. I take responsibility for having joy in my life. And one of the things that I do at the beginning of a new year is I take one of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, when, that everybody here who's a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the Spirit of Jesus. And the fruit of that, that what comes out of that, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians, it's nine things. That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what I try to do at the beginning of a new year is I will take one of those and that will be my focus for that year. I'll begin to pray about it. I'll begin to, to put things in my life to try to enhance that in my life. And so last year, for me, it was just joy. It's just like I just need joy in my life. And I begin to pray about that every day. God, I want you to help me discover joy at a deeper level, not happiness. 
Because happiness is based on the circumstances and it's all about me. I want joy. And maybe you're in that same place in your life where what you need this year is just joy. You just need joy. The beginning of a new year brings so much hope and promise. But for many of us, there is so much uncertainty. These are just uncertain times. These are uncertain times economically. I was talking to my sister-in-law on, on Friday. My sister-in-law just lost her husband about six weeks ago. And we were talking about her finances. And there's just this fear that she won't have enough to make it. And some of you have that same fear. Some of you are in uncertain times relationally. You wonder if God has someone for you. Or if your marriage is going to make it. We have these moments where we wonder if God is going to show up. Does he really have a purpose for my life or has he forgotten me? See, during times of uncertainty, what we think we need is certainty. God, just show me the answer. God, just tell me everything is going to be all right. But during times of uncertainty, what you need is not certainty. What you need is confidence. You need confidence of God's work in you. The word confident comes from two Latin words. So these words con comes with, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right or not, but fides is faith. That how do you move forward? With faith. How do you face uncertainty? With faith. How do you go with these uncertain times and take that next step? With faith. Now let me read this scripture for you again, and it will bring in a whole new meaning for you. The Apostle Paul says, being confident of this, that you move forward with faith, that you move forward wherever you are with faith, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's God's promise. You can be confident in that. You can move forward with faith in that. This verse right here, it's been my life verse for my entire life. When I was in high school, I had this verse engraved on the front cover of my Bible because I needed it as a reminder for me. It was just a reminder that God has a plan for my life, that God has not forgotten me, that God is not finished with me. He has a purpose for my life. And it's God's job to complete the work he's begun in me. It's my job to participate with him in that work. So as you stand on this side of a new year, there is no thing that will make you happy. But God has more for you. So you be confident. You move forward with faith. God started this good work. It is not your good work. It's his good work. And he will carry it to completion. So be confident. So here's how we're going to pray today. I just want to take this scripture and apply it to us. It's just this simple prayer right here. Heavenly Father, complete the work you've begun in me. Heavenly Father, 
Complete the work you've begun in me. I want us to say this out loud together. Let's say this together. Heavenly Father, complete the work you've begun in me. That when you begin to pray this prayer, it tunes your heart into what God is already trying to do in your life. When you begin to pray this prayer right here, it helps you to step forward with faith. To move forward in faith of what God has. Because God says, I want to bring joy into your life. So let's pray this prayer. I'm going to pray for you. And I just want you just to begin to pray this prayer to God. Let's pray together. God, that is our prayer. Our prayer is that you would complete this work you've begun in us. And God, for, for everybody in this room who has surrendered their life to Jesus, there was a moment that we stepped across that line of faith. And you begin that work in us. You begin this good work in us. So Heavenly Father, would you complete this work you've begun? Complete this work you've begun in us and me. Help us to move forward with faith. God, I pray for those who maybe have not started a relationship with Jesus yet, but they're ready. They want you to begin a good work in them. And that's your promise. And this is our prayer. God, complete this work. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.